Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Hunt Club, a new category of search firm that leverages the power of relationships and referrals to find you the best talent for your organization. They've used technology to transform thousands of subject matter experts into the world's most powerful talent network. And they've got about 10,000 industry leaders that refer top talent nationwide to the exciting positions that come through Hunt Club. Uh, If you want to learn more, you can reach out to me or you can go to huntclub.com and tell them that Carrie sent you. I'm super excited to have Bob Nunn with me on the show today. And before we get to hear from Bob, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is currently the CEO of a battery-free startup called Everactive, and they are a a deep tech company, really, that self-powers IoT devices. They've created and and pioneered an ultra-low-power circuit capability, and and we'll talk more about that today. Uh, I also want to talk to Bob. He calls himself a trust-first manager. And I I love that philosophy. I think uh, we'll have some good discussion about that. And I think that's probably served him really well during this last year in the pandemic, uh, as Everactive has really thrived during it, uh, especially as they had to go remote like many other companies. So we'll, we'll talk about how that philosophy has really helped. He's worked successfully with a number of startups over 30 plus years in in various stages of company growth. Uh, He's also raised a ton of capital, uh, including almost 100 million at Everactive alone. Um, He previously had a company called Fulcrum Microsystems that he was the CEO and he successfully sold that to Intel. And he spent several years there in senior roles as well. So we'll talk about um, some of his experience in the Intel culture. Uh, And finally, Bob, uh, like me, is also a UCLA Bruin. So always great to have a fellow Bruin on the podcast. Bob, really great to have you here today. Well, thanks, Kerry. Thanks for the intro. And it's great to be with you today. Awesome. Well, I gave kind of a quick intro to Everactive. Uh, You you know, coming out of Intel, obviously, you had a tremendous number of choices. What led you to get involved specifically with this company? Well, actually, the big decision was to uh, to decide to go back into a startup, knowing mm-hmm. all the uh, work and effort that goes into that. But once I had made the decision that I wanted to go back in a startup, there's really there are four things that I look for, um, and that this is I think has been true throughout my career. But uh, I the first thing is I look for something that's a big opportunity. I really it's we talk in the uh, the startup space about changing the world. But it's really true in the companies I've gotten involved in, um, there's been the opportunity to have a major impact on society. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things I wanted to find a big opportunity, something that could have a major impact. And then of course, uh, the second thing is if you're going to take a big shot like that, you need to have the right financial backing. So to find a, uh, an opportunity um, that was appealing and that had the right financial backing was kind of the, the uh, bar that I set to really start looking at companies. But then the, the other key things are really the technology that powers the breakthrough. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, is it defensible? You know, um, you know, where is it coming from? What can you do with it? And then the most important thing is really the people that are involved. 
And so throughout my career, I've always joined companies after they've got started. In one case, that was it, it was just the two founders. I came in to help them get started, but uh, I've never taken that grand leap of starting the company myself. I've always come in after there's at least the germ of the idea, or in the case with Everactive, the, the technology already existed and was proven. Um, and in this case, it was really the people. It was the, the founders, uh, Ben and Dave, and the uh, team that they had put together already when I joined that really attracted me to Everactive. It was just a great group of folks. That's, that's great background. I think a very instructive model that I think a lot of people could use for how they, how they think about it. You know, interestingly, I, I've worked in a huge number of startups across my career through the early to growth stages. And, you know, somewhat similarly, in most cases, I was not the founder, but I came in to a situation that uh, covered a lot of those characteristics that you just described. So that's, that's really I like how you've, you've summarized that. I think my audience will get a lot of, of value um, from that model. But, uh, you also mentioned I've been involved in a lot of stages and I, I have everything from you know, the two guys and a dog all the way through companies that have gone public or been sold. And this, uh, when I joined Everactive, it's my favorite stage. So that was the other thing I was looking for. It was something where the uh, initial, the first part of getting the technology together and kind of uh, trying to put it together into something useful had been done. And it was really a question of how do you take this to market? What's the value proposition for the end customer? What, what is the business model? You know, how are you going to go scale? So those are the things that I've learned throughout my career that I enjoy the most. So mm -hmm. at this point, you know, as you mentioned, 30 years in, it was like, okay, this is a, a perfect set of the people, technology, the, the opportunity, the, and that's one of the things, the opportunity in IoT is so large. It's just amazingly large, biggest opportunity I've ever faced in my yeah. career. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, we were saying just before we started how, you know, while we feel like we've been hearing about it for a long time, it's still very early days. So let, let's talk about a couple customer uses just to orient uh, folks a little bit more to Everactive. So, you know, share, share a couple early customer examples. Yeah, I'd say one of the problems with the IoT is there's just too many use cases. Mm -hmm. So there's just, you know, it's a plethora of opportunity and it's easy to get confused. And that's what we've seen with some of the early uh, entrants into the IoT. They tried to become this platform of, you know, across all these different opportunities. If mm -hmm. I can just have this little slice, you know, then I'm gonna um, be a big company. Um, when you remove the battery out of the IoT devices, the, uh, the opportunities just multiply. So it really just, it opens up this whole new world of what you're capable in terms of connecting to the, uh, the physical world. So um, one of the challenges for a company like Everactive is really to focus in on what are you gonna do with this, this huge opportunity? Uh, how, how are you going to um, solve a problem for a customer? You know, how do you focus in on that? And the process we went through was really to, to look at various markets and to, uh, we honed in on the industrial segment, primarily because it was a place where um, uh, monitoring or sensing technologies have already been adopted. And so we wouldn't have to teach people about how to use sensors, but we would be uh, on a mission to teach them to put those sensors everywhere. So by removing the battery, you could drive this concept of pervasive monitoring everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then within that segment, we decided the best way to go to market was to solve a complete problem for a customer. So instead of giving them a piece of the solution and then having them 
be responsible for adding the other pieces to make to solve their problem. We said, let's go from soup to nuts, um, provide a full solution on something. So uh, we picked uh, initially the steam distribution system. There's a, a valve within that system that is critical to its uh, proper operation called the steam trap, actually removes the condensate out of the steam distribution system. And we said, all right, let's go monitor steam traps, um, but let's do it in a way that we make it super easy for the customer to use. And because it's batteryless, it's super easy to maintain. And then we decided the best way to solve that for them was as a service. So we actually go in, we provide all this technology, uh, all this you know, deep battery list neat stuff that we do, but uh, ultimately we're charging them a service for uh, providing them insights as to what's going on with their steam system or with this particular uh, asset, the steam trap. So that, it requires that level of focus in uh, mm -hmm. all the way down the chain to really come up with something that then has a unique value proposition for the customer where they go, hey, you know what, if you solve my steam, if I no longer have to monitor steam traps or I can do it continuously, there's some, a big benefit that I get from that. We've since moved on. We're doing something similar with rotating machinery. And uh, part of the idea behind our company is to work with partners where we expand the opportunities that we go after more than a startup could do by itself by itself we actually sure. multiply that by working with industrial partners using our technology very cool so you, you kind of went deep into an application like steam traps did have you gone all the way you said you're you're doing monitoring and are are, are you at the point where you're literally setting up your own uh monitoring facility you're doing that remotely you're doing alerting or dispatch yeah. or anything like that when people need to go uh, address something or as i think about full stack solution i mean how, how far do you go here yeah it's actually fun um one of the things i i talk with investors about a lot is this need to be a full stack solution today in the iot and that you can compare it somewhat to what happened in computer um, you know, advances in the computer industry along the way. When the mainframes first came out, the yep. original companies were providing the chips as well as the systems and the operating systems and the applications on top of those. So the IoT is at that stage today, even sure. though we've been uh, talking about it for a while, we still are in a fully integrated solution approach that's gonna win the day, mm -hmm. that's our opinion. So we, yes, we provide, we do our own semiconductors. We provide, we integrate the, uh, the electronics that we create with the ability to harvest energy from the environment and the ability to sense things, the, the transducers that uh, connect to the physical world. But then we also provide our own networking technology on top of that. Uh, we provide all of the capability to bring the data to the cloud and manage the data, as well as the analytics to turn that data into insights. And then we provide alerts and um, uh, dashboards or interfaces for the customers to be able to see the value of that data. Um, and then as part of the service, we manage that whole network of sensors. Because one of the things we found is our industrial customers are very sophisticated in terms of running their factory, mm -hmm. but not as sophisticated in running large sure. networks of electronics. Sure. Right? Well, it's not and, the, it's you know, not the business they're in, right? So that's... Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think we can all relate. Our Wi-Fi system at home is a pain in the butt. That's right. And so imagine having thousands of sensors in this distributed uh, network. So we mm -hmm. actually take that burden on uh, remotely, as you mentioned, to make sure that all the sensors are running correctly, 
or that people haven't disconnected the gateway from the powers or things like that. So um, that is the service that we provide today. Um, we have attracted attention of some of the um, large industrial players. Our partner in the steam distribution world is a company called Armstrong International. And they would like to work with us to take that even further. And you mentioned about uh, uh, taking action when you find a fault. That's not something we're expert at, but Armstrong and their sales channel, that's what they do all the time. So the, the combination of the technology along with the industry expertise and experience is really where I see the, the huge benefit to the customer. So I, I'm not announcing anything today, but uh, um, that is the direction that we're headed where it's really to improve that service and that um, that uh, steam management, uh, steam distribution system management um, even further through partnerships. Hmm. Very, it's so cool. I mean, the, what the, the entrepreneur in me, you know, my brain's just going thinking uh, so many opportunities that this enables, number one, which is interesting for other startup or, or solutions to other problems out there that you're, you are enabling. But to your point, in the early days of most breakthroughs, it requires that integrated full stack solution because people can't generally get there on their own. And that, that keeps a lot of technologies on shelves for a long time when people don't, don't go piece it all together. Right, and it's an expensive proposition. That's part of the problem is, and again, my, my second pillar of what I was looking for is the financial backing mm -hmm. uh, so that you can go do all that. So we have uh, you know, engineering expertise in five different disciplines wow. um, all the way up the stack. Um, you know, we're selling into a market that's very conservative. You know, they don't want to adopt new technologies that are going to cause a problem. They don't really trust startups as a, um, a starting point. So, you know, all that turns into uh, a lot of capital is required to get started. So it takes the right financial backers. And fortunately, uh, you know, early on, the company um, paired up with New Enterprise Associates in Silicon Valley. And they've been great in terms of looking at the long-term potential for batteryless technology in the IoT and understanding that, yes, today it's an integrated solution, very expensive to bring to market, but as we move forward, that will start to disintegrate sure. and there'll be opportunities to be that platform supplier throughout the industry. Yeah, great. I think that's such great perspective, Bob. You just so, so often, I see a lot of startups in the work that I do day to day, and so many times people are pitching me a platform and they don't have a customer, they don't have any traction and i generally have this view of you sort of earn your way to becoming a platform and so you know especially in an emergent technology like like yours that that plan makes so much sense so thank you for for sharing that one That's... one last question though do you find that these early adopter customers have to almost run parallel processes to start so they implement all of your sensors and start to uh, trust you to uh, to help them. Are they still for a while running their old processes of checking things or whatever they were doing previously, if anything? Yeah, I'd say it's more of a phased rollout is what we see people doing. So uh, our pitch to the customer is let's go monitor everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, pervasive monitoring, if you don't have to uh, do the maintenance, you know, you're maintenance free because the, you don't have to go out and change batteries. That's right. Then you can put this in hard to reach, difficult places or in lots of places. So one of the, the uh, things that made steam traps 
interesting is there's just so many of them in a factory that it's uh, difficult to, you know, you'd be trading off um, manual maintenance of steam traps today for the manual maintenance of sending someone around to change batteries tomorrow. Mm. And the customers just aren't willing to do that. Um, so that's the, uh, the real um, benefit to the customer that, uh, that we bring um, can be seen in small deployments first. Uh, and so what we, what we see are kind of these phase deployments to start out with a few, you know, we, we say, let's do them all. They say, okay, well, let's do a small subset. Yeah. And then we see an expansion um, as they start to build up uh, confidence in the solution. They see the value. Uh, and normally we thought that would take longer, but we, within three months, we can demonstrate to the customer the value that the, the solution is bringing in terms of uh, savings in energy or improvements in um, uh, some of their environmental uh, concerns or even safety concerns. And uh, so then they, we start the expansion process within the factory. And because the companies we're dealing with are very large multinational companies, we start talking about other factories. And then the, uh, the, the natural uh, extension of that conversation is to talk about other assets that we can monitor with this battery-less uh, technology. And that's where we how we move from uh, steam distribution systems to rotating machinery. Mm. And then, of course, we'll be adding other uh, assets to that uh, list as well. So it really is, a. You know, we talk a lot in the, the as a service uh, business, we talk about the land and expand. That's right? I was going exactly. to you stole, yeah. you stole yeah. my thunder, Bob. I was going to say yeah. uh, to my audience, ladies and gentlemen, this is what is known as land and expand. So yeah, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. absolutely. It, um, and it's a little frustrating, actually. The other thing you'll hear about is pilot purgatory. So you mm -hmm. do this uh, test right. and then it never turns into anything else. And to, uh, to our credit, we have not um, had to deal with pilot purgatory. So the, the fortunate thing is the, the value, the demonstration of the value is so strong that we move fairly quickly from this let's try it to let's go and expand it. And we're now seeing customers moving from you know 100 node or a few hundred node um, trials to multi-thousand node or, uh, deployments. So that's really uh, when you know you, you're starting to get the momentum behind the solution that people are saying, okay, I see it, I see the value, let's go ahead and do this and uh, do it in a large way, so. That's awesome, that's awesome. I mean, so, so much value in here for entrepreneurs and, and people operating businesses. I, I talk a lot to, you know, you're, you're an enterprise solution, but the days, you know, we, we had earlier in our careers for sure, those, those days and years where it was long sales cycle, huge capital expenditure decisions. And now it's a lot of it has changed to what you were describing. You can start with a pilot, you get in quickly, you prove your value, you start to expand from there. And that seems to be the much more prevalent enterprise approach these days. Yeah, well, it's lower risk for the end customer, right? So they can try it out before they right. uh, take the big, um, big dive in. That's right. So great, great jumping off point. So what, the way I think about what you're doing, you, you really are one of these key bridges to adding intelligence to the physical world. And so many, it's, it's amazing how dumb, if, if you use that quote uh, term, much, much of the physical world is, and you're really bringing this intelligence layer. So as you think about just in the world, the expansion of IoT, what, what are the kinds of exciting things that you feel like we as 
uh, consumers in the world should expect to see when you have these much broader sensor networks out there. Well, yes, that definitely is the point. So this whole idea of connecting the physical world to the digital world, mm -hmm. you know, in ways that were never considered possible before is really what's, uh, um, what Everact is after, but I think a lot of the uh, IoT companies. But uh, I think the most exciting things are the ones we haven't really figured out yet. So mm -hmm. the, you know, the concept of generating new uh, streams of data you know, that mm -hmm. never thought were possible before when you, you, you remove the battery and all of a sudden it, the new possibilities open up. And then the uh, advanced uh, you know, AI uh, capabilities that we're starting to see develop at the edge. And you know, at EverActive, the edge is the asset itself. You know, it's the real edge of the mm -hmm. physical world where you can have dramatic uh, compute capability, uh, the ability to do inference of images and, and different things locally. Uh, and then the idea of all these data streams and how they interact, I think uh, it leads your imagination to a whole new way to interact with the physical world. And, uh, and so I think we don't know yet what the, uh, mm. the real outstanding um, applications of the futures are. Um, one of the things we talk about and uh, that we're working towards is this concept of Googling the physical world. So something as simple as, uh, you know, asking a question you know, in an industrial environment, was, believe it or not, we, we hear this from customers. This is the question they would like to get answered. Where is my forklift? And where's, where's the nearest forklift? Mm. Uh, or things like, uh, what, is, what are my gauges saying right now? So my analog gauges, how can I um, get a look at those? Or you know, what's my carbon footprint reduction over the last quarter? Uh, you know, it is my, my shipment, my overseas shipment, is it still secure? Just simple things like that, that you can get um, just simply the same way we get information through Google today, asking a question and it comes back and you've got the data sources to be able to say, yep, here's, here's the answer to that question. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really interesting topic. It's almost that, we, you know, our imaginations are only limited then, and we, we need to equip folks to be able to ask more, better, deeper questions. Exactly. And, uh, and the idea of how all this data works together, you know, we're seeing this in the STEAM distribution systems. We start out monitoring just this one valve, um, but when you put hundreds or thousands of um, monitoring points across the steam distribution system and you're taking data continuously that's one of the big advantages of our batteryless approach is that we're not trying to manage the power of the battery we're constantly generating new energy from the environment so we take tons of data we mm -hmm. just, we have massive amounts of data um, you start to see uh, things within the steam system itself that are you know, completely independent of the steam traps, but you see anomalies. And this is one of the big benefits that our customers see is all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, it, we've been wondering what's going on in that section of the plant. Uh, through this data, we can see that maybe things are uh, sized incorrectly, or we've got a problem with the boiler or, or something else that's going on or some interaction between equipment. So I think that the, the way these data streams start to work together is really the, the big opportunity. And we've just started scratching the edge of that um, today. Very cool. Well, what, what do you have on your list as kind of the thing you're the most excited about for EverActive this year? Uh, for this year, it's growth. So that's, this is, uh, for me, the fun part. 
we uh, increased our uh, annual recurring revenue forex last year, and we're on track to do better than that this year. And uh, all the challenges that come with growth, so we're growing the team, bringing in the right people, you know, the right expertise, but folks that still um, you know, mesh up with the company and the culture that we're, we're creating, um, you know, putting in the systems to help uh, prepare you for that, uh, that larger company mm-hmm. that you're becoming. Those are all the things that I love about building startups. So this is, to me, my favorite part. So we're, we've got the products, we've got the value proposition, the customers have accepted it. We're now seeing uh, people starting to ramp up in big ways, and it's really just execution. That's exciting. Well, and a good a good transition. So uh, yeah, I talked a little bit about uh, your philosophy as a, a trust first manager, and I want to get to that in a minute. This isn't your first. You know, we we we've talked about this a couple times. This isn't your first rodeo? First time as an entrepreneur or CEO, but each one's a little different. Anything that you can point to that you've seen that's different this time or that you've learned about yourself through this particular tour at Everactive? Uh, that's interesting. Um, you know, they, there are a lot of similarities as you go through this company building process from mm-hmm. uh, company to company, but they are all unique uh, for sure. When I think about what I've learned recently, I, I would say the biggest thing I've learned about myself, at least, is while I was at Intel, and that uh, I tried really hard to find um, a place within a big company, because my whole career has been in startups. I started out at a, a big company early on in my career, but uh, was very dissatisfied with that mm-hmm. experience and quick, quickly moved into startups. I can relate to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So at Intel, I learned that uh, you know, part of the issues I had early on in my career were really about that company, not mm-hmm. uh, so much just about big companies. But some of them are, you know, big company challenges are different than, uh, and I would say challenges and opportunities are different than what you uh, have at a startup. Sure. But uh, I think the, uh, what I learned about myself is that the environment where people are such an integral part, every single individual is like, critical component you know it, the individuals are much more important than the organizations the bureaucracy or the systems uh, that's really what i love and so after i was at intel for six years i had four different jobs i think in those six years i kept trying uh, finally ended up in intel capital doing investing with startups mm-hmm. but uh, um, i realized that no this is what i love um, the the company building process. So that that was probably my biggest uh, individual growth over the, the last few years is really that, no, I really, I enjoy this. This is what I want to do. I've retired a couple of times in my career, um, but I'm simply just, uh, I enjoy this um, too much to, to stop yet. Mm-hmm. So that, um, that doesn't really answer your question, but uh, that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, the, I would say ever active in terms of uh, companies that I've run or been involved with uh, startups, uh, the potential for Everactive is the largest that I've been involved in. But as we talked about the opportunity for the IoT and just this opportunity, as, you, as we talked about earlier, of creating a platform solution eventually that is, you know, that this is the way you do batteryless monitoring. Uh, I really, that's part of our mission is really to continue to grow the, the uh, technology and the practices that we put in place as the right way to, to do battery list monitoring or IoT monitoring as we go forward. 
So that's, I'd say that's one of the things that uh, is exciting about Everactive. It's just such a large opportunity. It's also a tremendous team. And it, um, I would love to take uh, credit for it, but the culture of the company is really outstanding. And uh, it was one of the reasons that I, um, I came in was that the culture that the founders had created or were building, uh, the, the, what they call the core values, were right in line with the way I feel. Um, you know, this trust first management that we're going to talk about and, and uh, the, the idea of intellectual honesty and yeah. um, doing things, uh, trying new things and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's move into that a little bit. So, you know, this last year has been a, a real challenge for a lot of executives and companies in dealing with this pandemic. You, as CEO, had to deal with it, like many others. You describe how the that culture has really, you know, helped or uh, helped you and and enabled you through that challenge. Yeah, and, um, one of our core values is uh, what we call one team. And that really came about um, because the company, uh, we are founded by two professors, uh, one at the University of Virginia and the other at the University of Michigan. And we built teams around them in those locations. And then we also have the team in Silicon Valley. So we were geographically di- uh, diverse even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so with these multiple locations, it's easy to have, you know, that's the Seville office or, you know, that's why they do it in Ann Arbor or whatever. So it was really mm-hmm. a focus on, no, we're all in this together. We're, we're three different locations, but we are one team. And so that one team concept has really been the um, foundation of this as we've gone to a completely remote workforce um, and the ability to manage that and to, and I think, again, trust is a big part. When you're not seeing people, you, you don't know what their work hours are. You're not uh, in the, uh, the office with them every day. Trust becomes a much more important factor. Uh, and it can drive you crazy if you uh, don't have that ingrained as part of the personality of the company and the way people work together. Any permanent so, changes that you see happening through the, this past year? Uh, yeah, I think like a lot of companies, we're embracing the concept of a hybrid workforce. So mm-hmm. some people will work in offices and some people will work other places. And then the, the whole uh, notion that employees can work successfully from anywhere. So mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've got employees now that have moved to ski resorts for the winter to, mm-hmm. so that they can uh, ski in their off time and then work um, you know, from this temporary housing. That, that works today. So with the uh, advancements in communication technologies and mm-hmm. the ability to move information back and forth, it, that's uh, quite doable. So I think uh, embracing that and putting the systems in place so that we are one team, so everyone has the same opportunities regardless of where they work, whether it be remote or in an office or you know, on a ship, on a, a sailing boat or whatever, mm. that, you, uh, that uh, you embrace that. And I would have to say that um, um, it's been an easy transition for us in the pandemic, and I feel like it will be an easy transition coming out of the pandemic because of that. Um, we've already embraced that core value of yes, we're all in this together, and um, uh, you know, our work is distributed across all these different uh, geographies already. Mm-hmm. At this point, will you keep the three offices? Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. there are some of us, me included, the love working in offices. Sure. So there's, and then we do have the 
we have a manufacturing group which has been in the office uh, for most of this year uh, mm -hmm. getting our products out and then we have a labs in each of the offices where the engineers can go and you know uh, the hardware as well as the software guys the especially embedded software guys need those environments so uh, we will continue to to provide all three offices. We're actually um, increasing the size of the offices, and uh, we just got a new office in Santa Clara. We're increasing the size in uh, Ann Arbor and, and Charlottesville over the the, the near future. Hmm. So uh, we see that as part of our future, but with this added component of being much more flexible about having people work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that there was great values alignment with the founders, and that was one of the things that, that excited you to join. Do you kind of ha have your own operating principles that you tend to uh, work from? I do. Um, I love to take credit for them, but it actually was uh, from a talk that one of um, the CEOs from one of my first companies gave to the company when the company was in trouble. And so he was trying to be motivational, but he was really, he was digging down deep for the, the core values that he found um, important. And they stuck with me and I've actually um, used them throughout my career, both in the companies I've run and then the companies I've been involved with, either as a board member or as an advisor. And so there's three of them. The first one is the concept of self-fulfilling prophecies. And uh, I love this one because it's, it's, for a startup, you are doing things that other people think are impossible. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can't mm -hmm. tell you how many times people go, wow, it seems like what you guys are doing at Everactive is magic. Well, yeah, it, it kind of seems that way because we're able to make things run without a battery or any mm -hmm. other um, visible source of energy. But uh, you know, to, to make the impossible happen, you have to believe that you can do it. Now, it doesn't guarantee that you'll be successful. Uh, and actually, the only guarantee is that if you think you're going to fail, yes, you will indeed fail. Mm. So, but this this concept of self-fulfilling prophecies has been a big part of why I can jump into these. You know, startups aren't for everyone. You really That's turn right. in with a leap of faith. Right. Hey, you have to believe. I'm gonna, right. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to figure this out. We're going to make it happen. So um, that's one. The second one is trust, uh, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, and to me, trust is the foundation for teamwork. Mm. And uh, what trust first really means is that uh, you, you spend a lot of time finding the right people to work with. So we, we spend an inordinate amount of time hiring, you know, interviewing folks, looking for the right people. But we begin the relationship with trust. You come in, you're trusted from day one at uh, Everactive. I've been in environments where trust must be earned. Mm -hmm. Before you're part of the team, you really have to show that you can, um, you know, you can do your thing and, and, uh, and be trusted. And so I have specifically chosen that uh, we will take the risk on people. We will say, no, we trust you. Come in, do your job. You know, if, if you uh, don't uh, live up to that trust, that's a problem. And sure. we'll, we'll deal with those problems. But we start with the, the idea that uh, you know, trust is the foundation for teamwork and we all need to you know, work together in, with that in mind. And then the third one is Pride, pride in you know the mission of the company and in the value that the products are delivering to the customers, and um, you know pride in our uh, individual accomplishments as well as the organization overall. And that um, you know it's the test of uh, you know would you um, be comfortable telling your mother what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, indeed, you know day in day out, I'm proud of what uh, Everactive is uh, working to accomplish and the way we go about it. And, 
um, and the way people work together. So that's self-fulfilling processes, trust and pride have been kind of a driving force behind my um, management philosophy throughout my career. That's great. Thank you. As you think about, you know, you talked about trusting first and, you know, taking a, a lot of a thoughtful approach to bringing on additional members of the team. As you think about recruiting or, or developing company leaders, any other qualities or characteristics you tend to, to look for in them? Well, yeah, uh, obvious, but uh, intelligence and expertise in their area of responsibility is, is key. Um, I would say another one is the ability to listen and learn from, from other folks. So, you know, you come in with a certain degree of expertise, but you have to learn the environment and, and be able to work with uh, other teams. Um, but, you know, along with that, the ability to speak up and be candid, you know, when you're evaluating people, you know, providing feedback, uh, when you're evaluating your own organization or even the company as a whole. And that's one of the things, like with our leadership team at Everactive, we spend a lot of focused time um, being candid and talking about the problems and the concerns that we have uh, for the company, you know, whether they're the, the things we're dealing with today or things that we think we might be dealing with as we uh, go forward. And I guess the last one would really be the uh, dedication to the, the team and the, uh, the values and uh, the idea that we're working together to build each other up. Uh, as opposed to creating a, a competitive environment where you're trying to tear others down. So that's, um, that's probably the top of my list. There's probably more, but that's where to start. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great list. So thank you for sharing that. One of the things I, I always like to ask my guests, and I think I've, I've found just some great nuggets from, how do you personally keep yourself sharp and innovative, right? You're on the you're on the front edge. This batteryless IoT, you know, how how do you keep yourself sharp and innovative around that? Yeah, that's an interesting question, especially for an old guy like me. I uh, one of the things when I do talk to companies like when I was looking for uh, Everactive, I would get some younger uh, investors that would ask me questions like, you know, why do you still want to do this? Mm. Do you have the energy and you know, how are you, you know, do you have the, really the, the drive to go do this? And um, it's, it's to me, a stupid question. Of course I do. I know better than anybody else what mm -hmm. it takes to go do this. And I, I'm excited to do it. Um, what keeps me sharp is really the people um, that I surround myself with. So the, uh, um, I've been doing this a long time and I have some preconceived notions. But I can't tell you how many times I've been challenged by someone that's, uh, you know, more recently gone through business school than, than my, uh, you know, 30 plus years ago, 35 <laughs> years ago. And, uh, or someone that's read a book or someone that's just got an idea. And uh, uh, so creating that environment where they're comfortable to challenge me and say, hey, what about this? What if we mm -hmm. tried this approach? And then uh, staying open, listening to that and being willing to learn from from those great people, I think is really the, the key to, uh, it's what excites me every day. It's why I get up and, and go to work as well as how I stay sharp and um, uh, you know, invigorated to do this. That's, that's great. Yeah, something, it is one of those uh, almost strange paradoxes as we age, if we really understand that um, learning, being challenged by others is actually a gift. 
um, it, it, it's not a, a knock on our ego or, or pride or something. It's, it's actually a gift. And, and I, I seek that as well. So I, I can greatly appreciate that uh, from your perspective. And one of the big things is to make people comfortable to do that. Because right. yeah, I, I can be a strong personality and I know that. And I do have my opinions as well. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that people listen to me. But uh, they have to be comfortable to be able to say, you know what, I have a different opinion right. and know that uh, even though I may not like it, I will listen to it and uh, we can have an intelligent, you know, data-driven conversation around it. So um, that's been a big part in terms of developing the team and the uh, executive Endeavor active is to say, yep, okay, I'm, I'm a strong personality, but so are you. Let's, uh, let's listen to each other. Yeah, well, I, and I heard you say earlier this, you know, kind of intellectual honesty is a core value. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I often say is I don't, I don't ever have to be right. Um, I'll probably be right now and again, um, but, but I don't show up to a conversation having to be right. I want to find the best possible answer. And I can sense from you that you, you really uh, adopt that as well as, hey, let's create a exactly. environment where we can have a, a really healthy discussion, debate, dialogue, and hopefully the, the best possible answer and idea comes out of it. Absolutely. And if there's a better way to do it than the way I've been doing it for the last 20 years, Absolutely. I want to adopt that better way. Absolutely. So. Very cool. Well, Bob, we're coming up on the uh, time here. Last question. When you think of, you know, someone in your shoes or, you know, entrepreneur, maybe a little earlier, trying to get their company off the ground and operating it today, where would you suggest they focus their priority and, and attention? Um, that. Kind of seems like a trick question to me. The answer is, of course, you focus wherever the, you know, the area that needs your attention the most. So that's part of the beauty of the general manager role is that mm -hmm. you just get to get involved in everything. Um, but I guess if I interpret your question to say, you know, if I had to give a piece of advice to a first time CEO, um, and yeah, almost regardless of uh, the stage of the company, one of the key things that I think the role of CTO, C, CEO, besides raising money and keeping the company funded, is to focus on uh, making sure that the vision and strategy for the company is uh, clearly articulated. Mm -hmm. So you need to know what it is, but more importantly, you need to be able to tell everybody what it is, mm -hmm. to make it simple for everyone to, to uh, learn and, and know, you know deep down. And then to wake, work to make sure that everyone is aligned to that vision. And I, again, it's the beauty of the startup is that it's all about individuals and personalities and everyone counts. And if someone's off doing, you know, if they think, hey, that's not the right thing, they're off doing their own thing, it can be detrimental to the, the overall mission to the company. So that, I think, is number one thing. Of course, the other thing I would tell them is to spend time developing culture, the culture you want. Um, don't just mm. take the culture you get. Mm. And, uh, and so that's, um, you know, and then find out what the problem of the day is and go work on that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, such powerful perspective there, Bob. I, was, I, I intentionally kept it vague, right? Like that, that I think is what it, uh, what it unearthed. So such good perspective there. Thank you so much well, for sharing that and for joining, uh, you know, as we've talked about, you, you have, uh, are at the helm of such an important company 
in in connecting the the physical and digital worlds. And I'm excited to follow your progress. I I'm grateful for the time and for being able to meet you today. Thanks for joining me. Well, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.